to, to be in worship this morning on this uh, Sunday of Advent, this first Sunday of Advent. Advent is here. We're still in COVID world in 2020, and the Lord is still with us. For, the, uh, for this year, for Advent, we're going to be looking at the uh, Revised Common Lectionary to guide us in our preaching life this year. If you're unfamiliar with the lectionary, it is a collection of readings. The word lectionary comes from the word lection, which means reading. Uh, and they're arranged for every Sunday of the year. They follow the church calendar and the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus over the course of three years. And so it's a cycle of readings, and every week there's an Old Testament lesson, a psalm, a New Testament lesson, and an epistle reading. And so for Advent this year, we're going to take one of these uh, texts for each week, and, and that will guide and shape our preaching life together. One of the things that I love the most about the lectionary is, is just the reality that thousands of churches all around the world are using the lectionary and use the lectionary every week to shape their, their life together in worship. And so there's a sense in which we find ourselves united in a deeper kind of unity and togetherness as, uh, as we are shaped by the same texts as churches from around the world for this season. And it helps us to, to see the world in the same way. And so uh, the title for the series is Home for Christmas. Home for Christmas. Uh, the theme of home has been an important and really a prominent theme in, in my life and in my family's life for the past decade or so, mainly because of where my work it has taken me over the past decade through seminary training and also through ministry in various places. It has given us both the opportunity and the challenge of creating a home, making a home, and then leaving home. And both of these are important themes in the spiritual life as well. As a father, I think a lot about what kind of home we want to create for our children and for our family. Uh, our home life is really important, and we all know that uh, our home life has been disrupted this year in so many different ways. Perhaps even your Thanksgiving felt a little bit less like home than it had in previous years with more extended family. Um, but, you know, I think about the kind of home that I want to create for our family, a home we want to have a home of compassion rather than a home of stinginess. We want to have a, a home of welcome rather than a home of unwelcoming, uh, uninvitation. We want to have a home of hope rather than a home of fear. We seek to have a home of, of peace and calm rather than a home of anxiety. A home that is positive rather than a home that is negative in terms of its energy. And so we think about these things and we great, make great strides in trying to create a home that's good for our family and for our children. And so we can think about these because they also have important places in our spiritual life as well. Where do we find home? Where do we find home in a time where uh, it has been f feeling like homelessness in a lot of ways? Uh, and, and so this week we're kind of looking at the, the, our ultimate home, our future home, as a backdrop for this morning's message. Next week, um, Bree McGill will be back to the pulpit by popular demand, and she'll be uh, reflecting on finding home in the wilderness, in our wilderness experiences. Ultimately, we come on Christmas Eve and on Christmas morning to, to see how God has finally made His home with us in Jesus Christ. 
And so I invite you to turn, if you're um, in your own Bibles, or you can just watch on the screen, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37, Jesus is talking with his disciples about the second coming. It's apocalyptic language, and he's he's, uh, he's towards the end of his life, and he's talking about his imminent return. So let's take a look at our text for this morning from Mark chapter 3, verses Uh, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Listen to the word of the Lord. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we have come once again to place our lives here in front of your open word. Mere mortal words will not suffice. And so we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning, even in the darkest and most protected and deepest corners of our hearts. We pray that you will soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, that we might be alert to your coming in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In our passage for today, it's interesting that uh, this is set in Mark chapter 13 in the discourse that's following Jesus' cleansing of the temple. It's about towards the end of his life. And as you know, the cleansing of the temple was a way of pronouncing judgment upon Israel for their disobedience. Jesus says, you have turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And Mark's gospel, among the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's the shortest of the the synoptic gospels. It's terse. Mark doesn't pull any punches. Um, It is the original. It's the one from which Matthew and Luke borrow much of their material. There's no birth narrative in the Gospel of Mark, and it leans heavily on Jesus' teaching of judgment, on on, um, forces and powers of darkness and evil. Uh, There's a lot of demons in the Gospel of Mark, and his own graphic suffering and crucifixion 
Uh, and so in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is describing the events that are ultimately going to come to pass. Both at a cosmic level, he's talking about his imminent return after he dies. He will return and make all things new and bring to completion what begins in his, in his life, death, and resurrection when he returns. But also, historically, Jesus is uh, announcing or you could say predicting the destruction of the temple, which is going to happen in 70 A.D., He's pronouncing judgment upon Israel for their disobedience and inviting the disciples to see what is going to take place. But that's not all. These events are also signs that the current state of affairs, where evil and injustice and dominance win the day, that these things will not have the final word, that these things will come to pass. When the Son of Man appears in glory, will be coming in our midst to set things right. And so he's quoting Isaiah here in the text. He's coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He's talking about the apocalypse. You might remember um, we went through the biblical narrative in five or six different parts, and I talked about this several weeks ago. And so I'm not going to go into the full meaning of Revelation and the apocalypse, but part of the reason why I did that series is so we can see um, the promise and so we can see the narrative as it plays out in the, the micro-narratives throughout the Scripture. What does this have to do, this apocalypse, what does this have to do with a baby in a manger? Why are we reading this text on the first Sunday of Advent? Isn't that what Advent and Christmas is all about? The coming of Jesus in the form of a baby in a manger? Why would the lectionary have this text about the end times? Well, simply this, because as you likely know, Advent is really about how we are sort of in between two Advents. There are two Advents at work. There's the advent of the longing of Israel and the waiting for uh, the arrival of the Messiah in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so Advent, of course, means waiting. And so during Advent, we hearken back to the time of Israel when they longed for Jesus, uh, when they longed for the Messiah to come. But, and so that's the Isaiah text, and that's what we often tend to focus on during the season of Advent and, of course, Christmas. But now in this moment in history, we're also waiting for when Christ will return, for this promise that will come to us, and what began at his birth will finally come to completion when Christ returns and makes all things new. And so the lectionary will often have texts about the second coming or about the apocalypse in the beginning of the Advent season, and then move towards more of the birth narratives as we get closer to the arrival of, of Jesus' birth. And so there's a looking back during the season of Advent to Christ's birth, and there's a looking forward during the season of Advent when Christ will return. But what does that have to do with the present? What about the present moment? Does Advent have anything to say to us today in our time? Did you know that the word apocalypse means revelation? And what is revelation in the spiritual sense? What does apocalypse have to do with revelation? And what does revelation mean for us today? 
In the spiritual life, for us, revelation has everything to do with now because revelation is that moment when you've been looking at something your whole life and suddenly you see it as though for the very first time. Like when the sun comes up through the trees and the light shines and you see it anew as though you've never seen it before. Or your neighbor and the sorrow in your neighbor's eyes. Or maybe even the exhaustion that you see when you look in the mirror. You see the same image for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, there's a, a recognition of something deeper that's going on. An awareness, an aha. Revelation is that moment when you can see into and through what's on the surface to a deeper reality, to what's really going on underneath in our lives. It's an awakening of sorts. And the reason it's called revelation isn't because you're some kind of genius so that you can see what's beneath the surface, but because God has decided to show you something in that particular moment and you happen to be paying attention at the same time. And so Jesus says, keep alert keep awake. Did you notice that he says that three times in this passage and several more throughout the chapter as a whole? Why? Why should we keep awake? Because we need to hurry up and make sure that we uh, clear out the toilet paper aisles in the grocery store and grab our crash helmets and head to the basement? No, that's not why we keep awake. We keep awake so that we can see the kingdom breaking into our midst every single day in the ordinary places of our lives so that we can notice God's future reality when it comes to bear upon our lives in the ordinary, everyday aspects. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. The kingdom is near. In another place, Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. Keep alert so that you can see the presence of God breaking into your life in the ordinary events of every day. So you can see beneath the surface and be attentive to when God will bring revelation into your life. So this is apocalyptic language. To say what, what the church has always taught and always affirmed, you've probably heard this phrase before, that Christ has come, Christ has or you could say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Or Christ has come, Christ is coming, and Christ will come again. Theologians in the church have described this to say that Christ has come in, mystery, in history, in mystery, and in majesty. What does that mean? Christ comes in history, in mystery, and in majesty. Let me unpack that a little bit because it's important for us to see on this first Sunday of Advent from our text. First, Christ comes in history. Christ came and died, he lived a life, and he died. Uh, we have a God who put on human flesh and chose to walk among us. This means when we, we reflect on Christ in history, it means that we are never alone. No matter what we experience, the joy and the sorrow, the fear, the hope, the pain, the suffering, the temptation, the fulfillment, God has experienced this in Jesus Christ. God has chosen to come and live and to 
to get dirty, down and dirty, into the muck and mire of human life with us. It means that we are never alone in our suffering. That's the Christ of history. And so God is with us always because God has been with us in the most concrete way possible. We don't have a distant God like the gods of before and the gods who others have worshipped throughout history who doesn't know our experience. That's Christ in history. But second, Christ comes in mystery. We think about the mystery of the table. We think about the mystery of baptism and how throughout the, the ages, the church has celebrated this reality that Christ in some mysterious way shows up in our lives in the ordinary ways, but we have to have eyes to see it. And Christ even gives us eyes to see. And so that means that, that the deaths that we experience, our psychological death, our spiritual deaths, our physical or emotional deaths, they've all been conquered by Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And so this mysterious aliveness of Christ enters into our hearts like yeast in dough, and it spreads and it takes over and it forms us as we see his presence throughout our lives. And so we, we catch glimpses of our future home even as we experience the reality of our present suffering. If you would like a challenge for the season of Advent, I think most of us have enough challenges in our lives these days, but hey, if you want another one to add to the list, I would suggest that you take upon this challenge. It's sort of an experiment uh, to choose either one person, let's say it's your cousin Joe, or one group of people, say the African-American community in Alabama, or one nation, let's say Bhutan, or a nation that you have no connection with at all, and choose and commit to praying for that one person, or that one group of people, or that one nation every single day for the next 40 days for 10 minutes a day, open your heart to that group of people or that nation and pray without fail for 40 days straight and see if God does not work some kind of miracle in that 40 days. And whether it's a miracle that happens in that nation or that happens in your own life as a result of that prayer, See if there's not some kind of revelation, some kind of awakening or aha that happens as a result of that. Prayer is a dangerous, a very, very dangerous thing because it invites the, the heart, the conviction, the values of Christ to break down the walls in our own hearts. And God answers our prayers as well. And then before we know it, we, we, we find ourselves thinking and acting in ways that we never thought we would. We find ourselves going off to, to Kenya on a, on a mission trip or uh, buying food for a family in need or giving, uh, uh, giving away our time to the church, embarking on new creative projects, feeling loved and somehow feeling secure in the midst of insecurity. And so the power of the risen Christ transforms our ordinary moments. We can see what is not readily apparent. One of my favorite teachers of preaching, Barbara Brown Taylor, she, she put it like this. She said, look at the fig tree, Jesus said. If we want to learn what God is up to, we can begin by attending to the world around us. There are parables happening on every street corner, 
and clues to the kingdom in every square foot of earth. But most of us are not looking for them. This is what Jesus was getting at, I think, when he told people to look at the fig tree. They may not have done that for a while. They, have been, they may have been focusing on abstract things like judgment or salvation or on dramatic things like earthquakes or plagues. By directing their attention to a sprouting tree, Jesus let them know that they did not have to work so hard, that God was speaking to them in the most ordinary events of their lives. So that's Christ in mystery. And third, that brings us to the majesty part of history, mystery, and majesty. Christ will come again. What do we mean by that? Well, for me, today, it means that the entire world that we know will one day be transformed. And it will become the manifestation of God's ultimate dream for the world. It will come to completion. There will be no more pandemic. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more ego-driven ways of living in the world that lead to violence and destruction and pain and suffering. This is our ultimate home. This is the promise of Christ's return. Jesus, what Jesus says in today's gospel is when terrifying things take place, stand up and lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. When we see these things taking place, know that this too will pass. And this is a promise for us. Redemption here means being claimed. It means being claimed like, like grabbing a coat off the coat rack. This, that it is saying, God saying to you, you are mine. You belong to me. And there is nothing that this world can throw at you that will ever take that away. In the face of all the horrible things, personal or universal, this can be our response, that we, we belong finally and ultimately to God. We're part of God's creation. We have his signature written on our DNA. We are claimed. This means that no matter how good or how bad our lives may be, we are not living in our permanent home. No matter how how long we've been living in our actual home or in a particular place, no matter how homely our home may feel, it is ultimately not our permanent home. It is not our real home or our true home. Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you, just for you. That is our home and that is the promise. Frederick Buchner, in talking about writing about home, I'll close with this. He wrote this, Home sweet home, there is no place like home. Home is the sailor home from sea and the hunter home from the hill. What the word home brings to mind before anything else, I believe, is a place, and in its fullest sense, not just the place where you've been living at the time, but a very special place with very special attributes that make it clearly distinguishable from all other places. The word home summons up a place, more specifically a house within that place, that you have rich and complex feelings about. A place where you feel or did feel once uniquely at home, which is to say a place where you feel you belong and that in some sense belongs to you. A place where you feel 
that all is somehow ultimately well. And so home is the place where we belong. And the call for us today is to remain alert. It is to keep awake so that we can see that we have a future home and this home comes and breaks into our present in tiny little experiences where we know we are loved, we know we belong, and we know that Christ is present. So keep awake. Take time each day this Advent season to pause to make notice of God, to become aware of your surroundings, and to be attentive to see the ways in which God will reveal himself to you in unexpected encounters every day this year. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us in all times and in all places. We thank you for the deep promise of home that we have in you, for our ultimate home that awaits us, and as we look forward to that day when you will return, not on our timetable, not by our predictions, but at the Father's appointed time, may we notice in that ultimate time, but also in the little ordinary times throughout our days. We thank you and we praise you. Lift up our hearts this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.